I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. We're still seeing it quite well through that haze. E equals MC. That all men are created About the future innovations. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another fantastic episode of Finding Your Frequency. I'm Ryan Treasure, and we have a fantastic show for you today. We're going to be talking to Ron Malhotra. He's an award-winning financial advisor, international speaker, advanced mindset and success coach, and certified leadership trainer, uh, radio host, and number one best-selling author. What a fantastic interview we're going to have today with Ron, talking about success, mindset, wealth, and leadership. Ron, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm, I love that intro, by the way. That gave me goosebumps. Oh, yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it. We uh, we worked really hard on uh, trying to come up with a concept for an introduction to the show that, you know, wasn't used yet or was that, that nobody had. So I appreciate you uh, recognizing that. No, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You know, Ron... Uh, Number one, thank you for joining the show today. I know you're a really busy guy. You have a lot of stuff going on, you know, uh, writing books and teaching people and training people. And uh, I know that you've trained through the uh, Jack Canfield and Success Principles curriculum and all of those fun things. And, and we're going to get into that during our interview and kind of talk about, you know, what you do in that space. But let's let's shift a little bit and kind of go backwards and let's tell the listeners a little bit about who Ron is, where did you come from, and and where did you find your frequency to uh, continue and 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 go down the path of uh, of leadership and success training. Yeah, look, I think you must be finding that the common thing between all people that have gone through this journey is that they want to share it, and that's why people, you know, who like a lot of speakers and trainers, they've typically gone through a lot of pain, they've gone through some challenges and adversity, they've been able to overcome those adversities, and now they want to share their message through writing books, or speaking in workshops, um, and and that's because the trans the transformation is so deep and it's so paradigm shifting that you want to share it with the world. And I think that's what compels a lot of people to step into this space and go, wow, I have experienced this amazing transformation. I want to share it with you. And that's exactly what's happened with me as well. Um, so how, just to give you some sort of a, I guess to give some context to the people that are listening. So I'm 41 years of age. I live in Melbourne, Australia. I was born in India and I moved um, to Australia when I was very young. And uh, I suffered from a bit of an identity crisis and a cultural crisis because, you know, I knew racially I was one person, but then culturally I didn't, didn't connect with, uh, the, you know, with, with the country that I was born in. And so I had this identity crisis, which I believe a lot of people probably experience when they've, they've lived in uh, multiple countries. And, um, and, and like most people, I thought the definition of success was material and financial success. So, um, you know, I had low self-esteem as a young boy, so I thought... The best thing that I can do uh, in order to matter and become important in the world is to acquire a lot of wealth. And so that kind of naturally led me down the path of um, learning everything about money. I became really interested in the, uh, the wealth advisory industry, the wealth management industry, funds management. I wanted to know how money was created because I had learned that only 2% of the world population ever get to a net worth of $1 million plus. In fact, what's amazing about that is I heard this statistic first when, um, in, the, in, the, in the mid-90s and 2018, 
um, uh, Deloitte's put out a, a report called the Global Shift in Wealth. And according to that, 15,600,000 individuals in the world today have uh, a net worth of 1 million US dollars outside their family home. And so if you really convert that in a percentage in percentage terms, it's it's just over 2%. And so it's, it, it's mind-boggling to think that a 98% of people in the world are unable to even get to a million dollars. And not that a million dollars is a lot of money today. I mean, a million dollars, but if your net worth is between one to three million today, you are considered comfortable poor. The, the definition of rich kicks in at 500 million. So you think about the fact that 98% of people don't even get there. And that became a, an absolutely fascinating topic for me. I wanted to know why is it that so many people don't get to that point. And I thought the, the reason was that they lacked financial knowledge. So, you know, so that along with, you know, my desire to want to be someone led me down the, the, the path of wanting to learn everything about money. And so I found myself in the financial services industry. And by the time I was 30, I had done extremely well for myself financially. So I'd built my net worth to a point where, you know, everybody around me was impressed. But there was something wrong. I would come home and I would have these arguments with my wife. I felt like a bit of passive aggression building in me. I was always irritated. I did not look happy in any of my photos. And I thought there was something wrong. And I thought, first I thought, I'm just being ungrateful. I've done really well for myself. Look at all these assets I've acquired. Look at my net worth. I'm doing better than most people I know. I should be happy. But there was something wrong. I felt like, a, I felt like an imposter. And so, uh, you know, at the age of 30, I thought it, it, something's wrong. And so I got a mentor. And the first thing he said to me was, he said, who are you? Tell me who you are. And when he asked me that question, I went on to tell him about my name, my, my occupation, my nationality, and he said, no, but none of that, none of that it was picked by you, was it? So tell me who you are, who you, are you really? And that's when my journey of, uh, I guess, discovering who I was started when I was 30. And that kind of resulted in me walking away from everything that I had built and then restarting and reinventing myself. And then 11 years later, which is now at the age of 41, I know I'm living my purpose. And uh, back then, yes, I was progressing, but I felt like I was making small incremental improvements in life and it was coming with a lot of pain and resistance. Now I feel like I'm making quantum leaps and it just feels a lot more effortless. And so this is why I've become so passionate about this whole thing about people have to identify their purpose and they've got to find a way to live their purpose and maximize their potential and then use their potential to make a difference. So as you were going through that process with yourself, what was that you know, identifying moment or aha moment where you went, yeah, I truly know who I am. You know, it, it, it's a sense that you get. So I don't think it's something that you um, figure out through your intellect. It's a sense that you get. And I just, for me, if I look back at the journey, all I remember is the frustrating moments where I was pulling my hair out going, how the hell do I figure out who I am? And I started to realize I actually had no idea who I was because I hadn't picked my nationality. I hadn't picked my culture. I hadn't picked my name. I hadn't even picked my occupation. It was a product of uh, media conditioning. And, you know, sometimes there's a saying that your, your highest values, sometimes your, your biggest voids sometimes become your highest values. And because money was the thing that I perceived to be missing the most, I made it uh, the highest value for me. But it actually wasn't my highest value. So when I went through this entire journey, uh, it started by asking really good questions. Well, number one, who am I? And this is a question that most people never ask themselves. They've already inherited an identity that's been given to them by the world. And so they never really go, well, who am I really? If you strip me off my, my occupation, my title, my nationality, my culture, um, 
And, you know, if my body didn't look the same, who would I be? So that's where I started. And I had no idea who I was. And, you know, one of the things that I learned uh, on my, when I was being mentored was that who you are is defined by your purpose, your passion, your values, your strengths, your mission, and your goals, none of which I was clear on. And so it was, it was very frustrating. And it, it certainly, there was no moment where I had all the answers just magically drop into my head. It doesn't work like that. But there has to be an element of faith and you have to kind of just keep exploring and you've got to be okay with exploring who you are. But then I did a lot of personality tests. You know, I did a lot of self-evaluation. Uh, I, I asked myself some questions like, what were the things that I used to do in my childhood that used to make me come alive? What are the things that I do now that make me lose all concept of time? What is something that I would do for free if I, if I, if, you know, if I wasn't, you know, so I started to ask myself these questions and started to reflect inwardly. And as a man, let me tell you this, I've, the hardest thing for me was to go from my head back into my heart. This is the hardest journey I believe that a man is ever going to make because we men, uh, you know, we have these tough exteriors and we, we see um, emotional connection as something weak. Uh, so we tend to, and I used to very much, you know, I, I was living on the surface. So I, I hated going deeper than myself. Uh, but I think the, 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 the journey to self-discovery starts with asking really well-crafted and tough questions of yourself. Yeah, and I think that's probably one of the hardest things for any one person to do is to, you know, take a few steps back and look inside yourself for some answers because, you know, it causes you to put yourself in an uncomfortable place right as you're as you're self-exploring who you are and and what drives you and your passion uh and so that that is in and of itself is probably the beginning of that mindset shift it is and then and then the question is i mean one thing i i realized was that if i stayed on that zone which was my zone of excellence i was doing really well you know i i had the respect of my my clients respected me my 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 peers respected me uh, i had respect in the industry but i knew that that was not it i knew that that was not my zone of genius and you know as jim collins talks about in his book good to great that the enemy of great is being good you see when you're struggling and you've got nothing to lose you know, it, it, you can go and change your entire life and your life structure and you can start to make massive decisions for your life. But when you have done well for yourself, you've already acquired um, competencies and you've got accomplishments, you've got a list of accomplishments and you've, you've, acquired, you've accumulated wealth. To then walk away from that in pursuit of, you know, your zone of genius, that, that takes courage. And it was at that point that I realized I didn't have it. I'd realized that I didn't have, I had never built my character. I was lacking character. I knew it then because I didn't have the courage to walk away from everything that I had built. And so I realized that, you know, the education system can teach you how to make a living, but it doesn't teach you how to make a life. And I realized that there were so many elements in my life that were missing despite my material and my, my career accomplishments. There was, I, I was not very socially aware. I was not very self-aware. I was certainly uh, lacking spiritual intelligence. I had financial intelligence, no doubt, but there was other things missing. And so I started to realize that I, was, I didn't have peace of mind. I didn't have meaningful relationships. And I kind of thought to myself, what, why, I mean, what kind of culture and education system do we live in that teaches us how to make a living but doesn't teach us anything beyond that? And there's so much fundamentally about ourselves as human beings and so much about life and so much about the world that we never learn. So in effect, when we think we're educated, we're not because our education 
is so limited in terms of what we learn at school and universities. Um, and so I had to literally rediscover myself. And it was not an easy process. There was certainly part times when I was like, wow, this is, you know, I'm, I'm so, I've had this epiphany moment and I can just feel the changes that are happening within me. But most of the time I was frustrated. But the, but, and I've seen people, people come to me and say, Ron, I've tried to discover my purpose. I can't work out what it is. I've been asking myself what my passion is and I don't know the answers. And I go, how long have you spent on it? What, like two days, like three days, three weeks? Have you actually even spent six months asking yourself those questions? And so we have to, one thing we have to realize is the further you have moved away from your true self, and this is, and I don't want this to come across as an esoteric concept because you've got to understand I'm a numbers guy. I'm a businessman, so I'm very commercially minded and I'm very pragmatic in, every, in the way I think. So when I say this, I know that this is true because the, the stuff that a lot of people consider to be quite esoteric and metaphysical actually has practical implications in our life. In fact, my income, my revenue, uh, my relationships with my client, my ability to create has all been enhanced since I started to embrace other elements of my personality, which go beyond uh, traditional intellect, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, so you've spent a lot of time, you know, kind of going down that road of of, uh, of self-development and improvement. And because of that, uh, it, it was it that quest as you were trying to kind of figure out who you are that led you to, okay, learning uh, about success coaching, going through, um, you know, the, the different pieces uh, with like uh, success coach Jack Canfield and doing stuff with John Maxwell. Um as you as you as you kind of rounded that corner for yourself, uh, is that when you got into that space, or did that space help you to to even further that more? Well, I I was seeking something, and I didn't know what I was seeking, and I thought maybe the answer is going to you know the these the the gurus out there, like the the John Maxwells and the Jack Canfields, who are fairly established in this space. Maybe if I approach these guys and I get trained by them, then I'll have the answers. And no doubt, you know, all the training that I've done through some of the world's best mentors all helped me, but they, it didn't fully connect the dots for me. So everyone's like giving you a piece of the jigsaw, right? Everyone's giving you one piece, here's one another piece, here's another piece, but it's up to you to put the picture together. No one's going to give you the picture. Right. And, and so I kept seeking. I kept, you know, and I, then I delved into neuroscience and the science of achievement and philosophy, sociology, theology, uh, you know, epigenetics, uh, behavioral finance, neuroeconomics. I mean, I could just, and, and I was just, I had this voracious appetite. My, I remember my wife used to say, no matter what time I get up in the middle of the night, the blue light's on because I'd be on the iPad, you know, researching. <laughs> and, she, and, she, and she'd go, gee, I was sleep. And I go, I can't sleep. I, there is something missing for me. And I just feel like, I, I feel like I'm closer to finding my truth. And until I find my truth, I can't, I can't be in peace. And so I found myself having this voracious um, drive to find answers but at the same time even though I wasn't sleeping much I found that my body was un unleashing this amazing amount of energy I was never exhausted I was never tired there were so many times I'd miss my meals and I would miss my sleep but I was just on this quest and I could feel it at a level which I couldn't explain or articulate to anyone I could feel that I was closer to finding my truth um, but the thing is I, I, and I always encourage people I say look if you're not seeking you're not going to find You've got to seek first. You've got to go after wisdom. It's not just going to drop into your head. And experience doesn't make you wiser because if experience made you wiser, then anyone that's older and more experienced than us would be smarter, richer, and happier than us. We know that that's not the case. 
So wisdom is something you have to pursue. It doesn't come to you. You've got to go after it. So I did some you know, success principles training. I did leadership training. And of course, a lot of those things were making sense for me, but there was still something missing. So I kept, I was on that pursuit of wisdom and knowledge, and I was trying to leverage off the knowledge that other people had learned to try and connect the dots for myself. And that took some time. But one of the things I will say to people who are listening is, if you're going through the same journey and you know what I'm talking about, just keep going. Like, don't get so frustrated and give up because you don't know when that thing's going to happen. You're just going to have this moment where you're just going to know that you found your inner alignment. And when that happens, you're going to find yourself in a, in a true state of full expression, psychologically, physiologically, and you'll just know that you're in your truth. And then once you get to that point, something amazing happens. Your energy signature changes the way you the way you interact with people, the way you interact with life, the way you look at problems, the way you make decisions, everything changes automatically. And then all of a sudden you find that you're, you're, everything around you is starting to change. Old people are starting to move away. New people are starting to come into your life. New opportunities are showing up. You're finding yourself in new situations. It kind of just happens by magic. Now, if you actually study the law of attraction or you, you, you delve into uh, metaphysics or quantum physics, it actually tells you that this is exactly what's going to happen. It's been, it's been written about, it's been talked about for hundreds of years, uh, but the, the problem is we're not listening. We are so distracted uh, and we are addicted to distraction and, and, uh, and we're living from the outside in. So we're scared to go inside of us. We don't even know how to go inside of ourselves. But I think that's the true source of inner power. The true source of power is within us. And so don't be scared of that journey. You just got to keep exploring. Yeah, and I think you make a really good point when you say uh, addicted to distraction. And, you know, I find myself, uh, and, I, and I'm a pretty diligent guy as far as, you know, making sure that I, 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 I finish whatever I'm going to start and that kind of thing. And, but yeah, you, you do, you get it, you get addicted to distraction and it makes a, it makes it really hard to, you know, pay attention and, and follow the roadmap or whatever goals that you've set in front of you. Because even, and I'm a firm believer of even, even when you find your peace and you know, your truth, that quest that you had, that since, you know, cessatiable uh, thirst for wisdom and knowledge and information, it doesn't go away. Right. I mean, just because you found your truth and you, you kind of know what direction you're going doesn't mean that you stop looking for more wisdom. Right. I mean, it's something that you're constantly evolving. Yeah. And I mean, it's been said that the human consciousness is infinite. Um, and, you know, Ken Wilber, who's a, a human behavior specialist, he actually even talked about the fact that the human entire human race is now going to the third level of consciousness. So he said there's seven levels. Uh, and when we were in the first two levels, we were still very primal. We're still killing people. We have wars. We have very little compassion. There's, you know, discrimination on religious and gender grounds and all of that sort of stuff. And he goes, you can start to see that that's all starting to disappear now because, and, and you see that now. You, I mean, the reason why your show exists, the reason why you and I are talking, the reason why or so many people are now talking about gratitude and abundance and mindset, and these have become mainstream topics. Uh, let's not forget, five years ago, no one was talking about this stuff. So now you are seeing an evolution in human consciousness that's happening worldwide and people are starting to ask themselves all these important questions. But it's, isn't it interesting to think that 10 years ago, no one was asking these questions. We were ignorant and we were blissful in our ignorance. And no one was asking these questions. We'd go, I, I remember I was in the corporate world, I'd go to work and you know, I have my little cubicle or I have my little office and everyone was like in little cubicles and you have your one hour for lunch. Like to now, I have a six year old daughter 
I know that when she grows up, she's going to go, are you serious? Did you used to go to office and sit in a cubicle and you get one hour for lunch? Like, I don't think they'd be able to even conceive that idea. Right. And I think there's some <laughs> other changes that are happening in the world, which are one of the things I'm talking about is the vegan movement. I mean, that's another thing. You know, we've been, people are now talking about the fact that, well, how is it okay to kill 250 billion animals a year? One species kills that many species a year. How is that okay? I mean, are, are we become a parasite on this planet? But up until now, I mean, I, I've been a meat eater and a dairy you know, con- consumer of my whole life. And very recently, uh, in, in Jan 2019, I gave up meat. That wasn't an easy decision. Oh, that's got to be you, that, conscious that, one. That's got to be a really hard decision. I mean, your body, your mind, your everything is so programmed, you know, over your lifetime for you know eating meat that it's got to be a difficult. I I I, I'm, I still eat meat. Um, I I can't even fathom how hard that would be. <laughs> it's, it, it's difficult, and I love my steak. And I, not only do I love my steak, it's it's made me feel. Every time I've had steak, I felt good. And so I had no reason, no dietary reason, no nutritional-related or health-related reason to give up meat. Why did I give it up? And yes, it was very difficult. Well, because I felt that my consciousness was getting to the next level. And I thought, how can we expect blessings and uh, you know mercy for ourselves as a species, but we're unwilling to extend it to other species? And then I start to, and then I start to ask myself these questions. And the first thing that went through my mind was, how the hell? Why the hell did I think like this all these years? How come I? Why wasn't I prepared to ask myself these questions? Why was I prepared to turn my back on the suffering of other species? And then you kind of start to realize, oh my God. And you know, my whole life, I have been so unconscious about so many things in my life. And now the question is, what else am I unconscious about? What else do I not know right now that is having a significant impact in the way I live and significant impact on the world? And so, you know, the human consciousness is infinite. To think that there are actually seven levels of consciousness and we're at the third, what else do we not know? You know, and how much more could we be as human beings? And you know, I mean, you're not the same person you were 10 years ago or 20 years ago. You're not the same person you were when you were a teenager. Yeah. No. You know, and exactly. So so what is the, what's the difference? That I mean, my wife, if my daughter was buying a car today, she's six years old, she would only have a two-part criteria for buying a car. She would say, is it pink and is it cute? <laughs> But look at our discernment that we apply when we're buying a car today. We want to see if it's got ABS brakes, safety features. Does it look good? Uh, does it match our personal brand? Uh, does it have, you know, all these uh, electrical features and airbags and all of this sort of stuff? So what happens is as you get more evolved and you become more conscious, you become more sophisticated and discerning in the, in the way you make decisions. When you're not conscious, you're making very simple decisions. And when you're making simple decisions, you're missing all the insights that sit between information. Like you, one, of the, one of the common examples of this is people say, I'm busy. But there's a big difference in being busy versus being productive. You know, there's a big difference in doing what's urgent and what's important. There's a big difference in investing and speculating. And when you don't think at that level, when you're not conscious, you do one thing, but you think it's another thing. And that's how you keep making, making bad decisions in your life. And then you end up in a place in a career, in a relationship, in a situation that you're not happy with because you have been making suboptimal decisions because you have not been applying distinctions in thinking. And that is fundamentally the most important part of consciousness is that allows you to see things that others are missing and it allows you to make better decisions for your life. So, Ron, what, what has changed uh, societally, culturally, uh, you know, in, 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 in having humanity be 
more open to higher levels of consciousness. What what do you think is the cause of this shift uh, in thinking in in reality that's happening? Well, they say that it, it takes about three and a half percent of the of any demographic to wake up to then cause a, a shift in the entire demographic. So that's the interesting part. And if you look at mass movements that have occurred all around the world, and none of the mass movements ever were started by the masses. It's only ever, they only were started by one or two individuals to start with. And it only takes a few passionate individuals that are prepared to stand by what they believe. Early adopters, right? Early adopters. Early adopters. But but, but the other thing is, you know, early adopters is a term that's mainly used in the context of entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. But but these guys are early adopters, but they go one step uh, beyond early adoption. They actually, they're prepared to stand by what they believe in the face of criticism um, you know, ostracism and, and and opposition and resistance, and and so they are prepared to stand for what they believe. And then now, what's happened is because of social media, people can share quickly, and the word gets out quickly. I mean, when I the first thing when I thought about giving up meat was, I knew that I'm eating dead animals. Like, of course, I know that. I know that these animals are killed. But now, what's happened is because of social media. Now people can fly drones over slaughterhouses and animal farms and dairy farms and they can take footage and they can share it and then when people watch that and go oh my god i knew this was happening but now i see what is happening and then it emotionally impacts you enough for you to change your behaviors and so visibility is one of the biggest things which is why i think there is a a more rapid change in human consciousness is because social media allows people to share an idea a thought a belief quickly and no matter who you are and no matter what your belief system, there's always going to be a portion of the world population that's going to agree with you. And that's how tribes are built and movements are built. And once you get enough people thinking and behaving in the same way, change starts to happen very rapidly. I mean, look at what happened in Egypt. Social media brought you know, the, the, the Egyptian government down because you know, revolutions can happen so quickly. Unless, of course, social media starts to censor stuff, which obviously they, they do in some instances. But it's very hard to hide. I mean, even as a business owner today, if I rip, you know, if I rip off one of my clients and I, I take money from them and I don't deliver a service, what are they going to do? They're going to leave a negative review. Oh, I've yeah. got nowhere to hide. I can, I can't even like you can't even leave countries anymore. You go wherever you are. <laughs> everybody knows everybody, and you're only like you know, there's only three degrees of separation, um, you know, between you and somebody else. And so you're always going to get found out. So that I think that's the beauty. Beauty is that there's so much transparency being created in the world, and when there's more transparency, people ask themselves better questions. Well, that's a really good, really good thought. I love your take on on that, and I definitely agree. Let's let's shift gears just a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I love talking about leadership and thought leadership, but I, I I don't think everybody quite understands exactly. You know the the paradigm shift that thought leadership has brought over the last you know several years when when the terminology of thought leadership first came out i was kind of like oh what is this new term it's kind of a buzzword and then you know kind of really got to understand it uh why don't you tell the listeners what true thought leadership is in your eyes well thought leadership is basically an individual having an idea and becoming known for that idea because that idea makes a difference and that's really the essence right and uh, i love thought leadership because as long as there are problems in the world and there are millions of unsolved problems in the world 
you're always going to need entrepreneurs and thought leaders because they're truly the problem solvers. Obviously, the government's not doing enough and the educational institutions are not doing enough to solve the problems and corporations are not doing enough. You need more entrepreneurs and thought leaders. So thought leaders are someone has a, who has an idea. That idea has the potential to solve a problem, shift paradigms, or cause some sort of disruption that leads to a positive change. And that individual is prepared to stand by that idea and to share that idea and has positioned that idea in a way that changes the way people think and behave. Now, social media makes it possible for you to take that idea and share it quickly. And as you share that quickly, of course, you're going to attract a lot of people that are not going to like you because you are standing for change and a lot of people don't like change. And then you're also going to attract some people that are going to go, oh my God, that is what I have been experiencing. And I've been thinking about this for so long. Finally, someone's come along and saying the same thing as me. Geez, I love you. How can I be a part of this? And yeah. so you instantly, I mean, I run the Successful Mail. Uh, and, you know, when I started to run in 2015, when I founded the Successful Mail, people said, what? the world doesn't need any more successful men. I said, you're right. But what it probably needs is we need to redefine successful men. And would you agree that there is there are men who are lacking self-awareness or lacking self-control and lacking self-mastery. And we're starting to see that sperm count has been dropping since the 1970s and the, the rate of men killing themselves has rapidly increased and the incidence of depression and anxiety has rapidly increased and women's liberation has done some fantastic things for women, which was needed and is still needed. But who's going to support men? And I was at an event because I was um, appointed as the ambassador for the International Men's Day. And uh, I was actually speaking at a women's event and a woman got up and she said, excuse me, why are you doing this? And I said, what do you mean? What am I, why am I doing what? She said, why would you support men? Don't you understand women need help? And I said, well, who do you think I'm trying to help? Do you want to be in a world where men don't get it? Where men are, don't, have, don't have self-awareness, don't have self-control, and haven't achieved self-mastery. Don't you want a man who's accomplished, who's courageous, who's got character, who's disciplined, who has respect, has substance, and has style? Don't you want that? And so that's how the movement was born. It was just a thing that I personally cared about because I was one of those men who was lost. I didn't have any good mentors. And I felt that men didn't support each other. I mean, when I used to approach my friends and say, I'm having an issue, they'd go, hey, let's, get, let's go out, get drunk, and let's get laid. I mean, that was the way to deal with things. So I felt that there was a need for men to come together, support each other, and we were not about being anti-women. We were very much about integration between the genders because both genders want the same things, but the message has been lost in translation. But see what happened. I only had a thought. In 2015, I just had a thought. In 2019, I have a significant movement, thousands of members. I have an entire team. I have geographically expanded into other countries. I have investors. So how did that happen? I just took a thought. And I remember still in 2015 when I was sitting with my assistant and I said to her, can you please check, check and look and see if the domain name, the successfulmail.com is available? And she said, why? I said, just have a look. And she said, yeah, it's available. I said, it must be expensive. She said, it's only $14.99. I said, buy it. She said, what are you going to do with it? I said, I've got no idea. <laughs> that was 2015. Right. All I knew was I wanted to make a change in this space. And then because of building communities fast because of the ability to share ideas quickly, that's a form of thought leadership. And, and you know, everyone has a, a unique blend of personal and professional experiences or problems that they've overcome. But rather than keeping it to yourself, you can say, hey, I was stuck. I got myself unstuck. You are stuck. Let me get. Let me help you get unstuck. 
Yeah, you know, and ultimately, everybody in society is going to be much more successful if everybody's unstuck, right? It's it, it becomes an open freeway to entrepreneurship. That's correct. And the, and and look, here's here are some facts as well. Our technology has evolved a lot, but human beings haven't. I mean, you think about the fact that problems of poverty, hunger, violence, uh, human trafficking, sex trafficking, drugs—they still exist. Those problems haven't gone, and. I remember I was in a leadership forum and I can't remember who said this, but they said all of human progress comes down to 5% of the human population, meaning that only 5% of the human population is responsible for all the discoveries, innovations, inventions, explorations, and disruptions. 95% just ride that wave. So here is a question. If we have a million problems in the world today and we have only 5% of people that are contributing to making a difference and making a change, what if we double that number to 10%? We would half the world's problems. And so that's why I'm on this journey now where I'm saying to people, look, if you have an idea and you have the courage to stand for that idea and you want to make a change, I can tell you what is the process for you to go from conceptualization of an idea to commercialization of an idea and to have an impact because you have to commercialize that idea. If you can't commercialize it, you need resources to be able to put back into a, a movement or a business. And so the successful mail is a movement, but it's also a business. We have There are ways that we commercialize it, and there are ways that we impact the community without charging them anything. Uh, but, it's, but effectively, it was a change that I was seeking, and I was seeking it for myself, and I couldn't find it, so I thought, you know, let me come up with something. And today, anyone can do that. The barriers to get into business, the barriers to commercialize your idea, uh, the barriers to reach people have all been minimized and diminished. So why aren't people doing it? Well, that's because we're still very much stuck in the old mentality, in the industrial revolution, in the information age uh, mentality that we've got to go and get a degree education, then we've got to go and work for somebody for 40 years and then retire on 40% of our salary if we're lucky. Well, the system's already broken. It's proven itself. It's proven that it's proven to not work. So why are we following that system? And so, you know, for me, thought leadership is a very disruptive concept. And it's, uh, I call it magnifying the individual, their brand and their message, not so that we can make celebrities out of these people, but so that they can serve. So the intent is not to say, hey, look at me, I'm amazing. It's to say, hey, look at me because I've got something important to say. And for that, you need to strategically brand and position an individual and their message. Wow. Really great words of wisdom, Ron. I really appreciate you joining us on the show today and, you know, sharing all this wonderful information. Uh, where can people find out more about you and the different things that you're doing and, you know, maybe uh, catch you on stage? Well, connect with me on uh, on LinkedIn. Um, so we, I travel everywhere. We've just done a trip, recently did a trip to the United States, did, did a trip in Asia. And so we're going to be back in Canada, I think, uh, in a few months. We're going to be running some sessions. But just just connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn because you can collaborate. You can meet lots of like-minded people. You can build communities. Um, and so check me out on LinkedIn. You can check out my website, ronmohotra.com. Uh, but really, I think the best thing is social. Let's, let's connect and let's talk. Um, and uh, if anything that I have said pissed you off, let me know what it is. Or if there's <laughs> anything that resonated, let me know what that is as well. Awesome. Well, you guys heard it here. Check out Ron Malhotra on LinkedIn and you can find out how you can magnify your influence, success and wealth. Uh, Ron, thanks again for joining us on Finding Your Frequency. Uh, we appreciate your time. 
Thanks, Ryan. It was a pleasure to be on. I appreciate your time. Guys, check out the website for the radio show, findingyourfrequency.net. And of course, we're all over uh, social media at Radio Ryan One, at Jeff Spinney Two. And of course, uh, follow all the cool things that Voice America's got going on at Voice America TRN. Thanks for tuning in. VoiceAmerica.com, Finding Your Frequency. <laughs> 